So a sales leader, I think, um, with an outside sales team that could be remote or, or could be local, there's probably three areas that I think are really important. Number one is that they have the ability to actually coach. There's still a lot of managers out there that, you know, sales managers or sales leaders that are actually still managing by numbers or managing in a dictatorial way or whatever. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we're talking about the key to successful sales leadership. We've got uh, Bernadette McClelland on the, uh, on, on the podcast today. And, uh, and which I'm really excited about. Bernadette is the CEO of Three Red Folders. It's a sales performance agency with a focus on sales leadership and human performance. She's a highly recognized sales authority and executive coach, well known for her expertise in neurosales, which sits at the intersection of psychology, science, and sales strategy, especially within the B2B sales space. Bernadette has over 20 years of sales experience working for top companies like Xerox and Kodak, and she's the author of five books, her latest being The Art of Commercial Conversations, When It's Your Turn to Make a Difference. As a keynote speaker, she talks about topics like Start With Who and The Future of Sales Leadership. Bernadette, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, five books now, huh? That's, that's, that's a lot of books on sales. Uh, both, yeah, sales and leadership, personal leadership. So that's over a uh, 20 year period though. So, yeah. Well, I, I think that qualifies as expertise. I've written, <laughs> I've written zero books in my life. Well but. done. So there's huge <laughs> potential for you then. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I have any good enough ideas to write a book about, but I, I'll work on that. That seems, that, that's a, that's a big, that'd be a big step, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, ideas are the easy part. Well, uh, well, what I'd, I'd love to start by talking about, about your book, The Art of Commercial Conversations. You, you talk about nine commercial conversations that B2B sales executives need today. And that's really who listens to this, to this uh, podcast, tends to be field salespeople selling B2B, uh, their managers, VPs of sales in that field. Um, so can you tell us about these nine commercial conversations that you've kind of organized the world into and, yeah. and tell us why they're so important? Yeah. So um, that's, that's the book, The Art of Commercial Conversations. And, um, and so it's a model that I've created around conscious selling. And, you know, the market out there is changing at the moment, but there's still stuff from the past that, you know, we shouldn't discard. So if you can picture a nine square model, and if we think of the three principles going down, we look at the approach the salespeople take to the sale, we look at the focus of their conversations, and we look at the outcome of those conversations. And then if we overlay that with three layers going across, I'm kind of trying to explain this with my hands here. Um, and we look, at the, um, we look at the pathway, if you like, that sales has taken. So sales 1.0, um, you know, from years ago was very much about, you know, the approach was, was make contact, get out there, knock on doors, make phone calls, whatever it may have been. You know, the, the focus of the conversation was content. It was just like, you know, show up and throw up and here's my brochure and you know all the specs and specs and then the outcome was always that sign the contract and so you know that was the way of sales 1.0 
then in around the 80s, you know, we had the likes of professional selling skills. We had Neil Rackham come in with spin selling. You know, we had all these different methodologies come in. So we've kind of gone to sales 2.0, which is very much transitional. And the approach there, we learned how to connect, build rapport. Um, we learned how to consult from the focus of the conversation, very much about asking consultative questions. And then the outcome was very much, you know, it was... Um, uh, very much conspiring for the success of our buyers. So customer sat came in, buyer experience, all of that stuff started to come in. Um, and then where we are now, which I believe, we're at sales 3.0. And our approach to the market today, you know, we don't, we don't get rid of what we've already learned. You know, the fact of cold calling and picking up the phone, knocking on all of that kind of stuff, having our brochures, knowing our features, advantages, benefits, asking for the contract, all of that stuff still stays. We're simply stacking more on top of that that we need today because our buyers are changing. So our approach to the market now needs to be steeped in conviction. And what I mean by that is as salespeople, you know, you and I are salespeople as well. As salespeople going out to the market today, we need to do things differently. We need to think differently. And our, our need for understanding ourselves needs to change and we need to go to market in this real state of conviction and differentiation. So we need to start to actually look at our own leadership skills um, and the psychology, the way we think and all the rest of it. Our approach um, sorry, our focus on conversations today. We still need to know our product and the benefits and everything back the front. We still need to be able to sit in those conversations and be able to have consultative conversations. But what we need to do more of today is we need to understand within our conversations the art of context. We need to be able to um, contextualise those conversations and elevate them more to what's important to the buyer. Um, and thirdly, our outcome, yes, we certainly need to be able to ask for the order and we certainly need to conspire for the success of our client or our prospect. But we're reaching a stage in our social lives, our political lives, our um, economical lives, and that cuts across business where we really need to be conscious and contribute to not just the growth of our business, but we need to really be in tune with what is going to make our buyer's business grow, which means some of those conversations or those consultative questions, the contextual you know, conversations, need to also be about how our client is actually going to help their client grow. So it's this ripple effect. So there are the nine different conversations, um, if you like, in the conscious selling model, which my book is all about. Okay, well, that, that's an awesome concept. Um, I really like it. So to make, to make that real, let's role play. Let, let's walk through some specific conversations that, that a salesperson could have. How would, exactly would you do that? Like, let's show our listeners how they can build a contextual model with their customer to create value. I'll be the, I'll be the person that's, that you're selling to and you be the, uh, you be the salesperson. So when we talk about conversations, there are no specific lines or sound bites so let me take but let me let me answer that question for you so if we if we look at say our approach to the market let's just take the the first pillar if you like 
And the ability for us, if we start from the top, because it's, it's got to come from the inside out, which is, you know, we've got to start with who. And so we look at our levels of conviction and we think to ourselves, okay, who am I as a salesperson? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the questions that I, what are the questions that I ask myself before I go into a call? What are the questions that I perhaps ask myself that are not serving me? For example, do I have what it takes? Are they going to like me? All of those types of questions actually contribute to either us succeeding in that sales conversation or sabotaging ourselves. So should, example, should, we, yeah, should we ask those questions of ourselves or should we not? We should change those questions. So let me give you an example, my example. Okay, okay. so this is the way that I've actually, um, I guess, rolled it out for myself. Historically, in my sales career, there has been a question, and it may not even be just your sales career, it may be across your whole life. And, and there will be some kind of little question that you may ask yourself, or it could be a statement, for example, that is not serving you. So mine was, have I got what it takes? That was kind of like my, you know, going into a CEO meeting, going into a boardroom presentation, speaking on stuff, whatever it might be, have I got what it takes? Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about that, that is all about me, but it's all about, you know, the past as well. Right. And so if you can flip that and you can start to think about the people in front of you and you can start to really own the strengths that you've got, that is number one. But it's also about what's your belief about sales? Because if you're thinking to yourself that salespeople are sleazy or con artists or they're, you know, they're just out for themselves. If you think that about a salesperson, but your role is to sell, then there's going to be a massive disconnect when you actually go in to meet somebody, present, whatever it may be in that whole sales process. Does that give you a little bit of context around the conviction piece? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can, I definitely see how that gets in the way of a, of a, a conversation where you're trying to be consultative and create value for your customer. What, what do you think that the keys to being consultative and creating value are in these conversations? Yeah. Good question. Um, the, the key part is to also understand why you're there. So if you're meeting with a client, for example, and you you have to set yourself up. I see you're, I mean, you're the one who's asked for this conversation. You're the one that's asked for this meeting. So it's up to you to actually lead the meeting. And so what I find is that a lot of salespeople will be great at building rapport, great at connecting. They're, you know, most salespeople have got that down pat. The minute they um, sit down in front of the buyer, there's almost this awkwardness where the salesperson thinks it's okay who's going to go first or what do I say or if the, if the buyer actually jumps in first and, and kind of like says, okay, so what are you here for? That throws the salesperson off and what they will ultimately do is they will default to what they know best, which is all about them and their product. And, and what happens is when that happens, then one of two things happen. The buyer will say something along the lines of like, you know what, thanks very much, but we're right. 
or they might say, so how much is it? And bang, before you know it, the salesperson's in a price-driven conversation. So it's that ability for a salesperson to be able to keep their emotions in check. Now, when I say um, keep their emotions in check, I'm not talking about, you know, reaching for the Kleenex or I'm not talking about, you know, getting angry <laughs> or anything like that, but it's disciplining their emotions so that they can actually hold themselves to their own sales conversation framework. And, and when they can do that, they can then take the conversation to a higher level, which is contextual, which is identifying what is really important to that buyer, either for that person individually or for that person's business. But it's a higher level conversation. Specifically for outside sales managers, what type of leadership style do you think they should adopt considering that they might not see their team in person as often? Well, first, I think it, it depends on who is in the team um, because if you've got people who, let's just say, might, look, might work really well on their own, um, you know, but they may need company. Um, for many of us, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, I mean, we can work really, really well on our own, but we lack, with, if we lack that um, um, communication with somebody else to bounce ideas off, then it kind of spins it a little bit in the wrong way. So a sales leader, I think, um, with an outside sales team that could be remote or, or could be local, there's probably three areas that I think are really important. Number one is that they have the ability to actually coach. So we hear this a lot, but there's still a lot of managers out there that, you know, sales managers or sales leaders that are actually still managing by numbers or managing, you know, in a dictatorial way or whatever. But I think the best way to empower one of your sales teams um, or sales team members to be more high performing um, is to help them trust themselves. And I think that the only way that you can do that is to have them push their boundaries and feel really great about growth. And for a sales leader to actually um, ask the tough questions, to stay silent and not try to fix things, um, and to actually hold their team accountable. So I think coaching is, is really critical. Um, secondly, I think um, collaboration is really cool. So everybody in um, a team has got ideas of some, you know, shape, form or another. And I think for the ability for a sales manager, a sales leader to be able to enable two-way communication. And actually, you know, there is a place for the sales manager to say to the team, hey, listen, guys, you know, I'd love your feedback on this, you know, or I don't have all the answers. So, you know, I'd love some feedback. Um, and I think thirdly is communicate in in a way that is very much follow-up based more than checkup based. Because you know, I think you know, we've got millennials, well, we've actually got four generations of people out there in the workplace now. So they're all in differing, you know, thought processes and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, if a sales manager can actually be motivating rather than micromanaging, um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, there are several things you said there that really resonate with me. Um, I'm always giving people the advice that they should be a coach in their leadership style when you're a sales manager. And to me, that means if you imagine a, a soccer coach or a basketball coach or whatever, a great coach won't say, hey, you've got to score more points. you got to make more goals. A great coach will say, 
hey, I noticed in that last drive that your left crossover, it, it could be a little tighter if you had, if you turned your ankle like this, you could you know, make it a little more at this angle and accelerate better. Here's some drills that we could use to really make that work well. So identify a problem and then they'll, and they'll, they'll break up everything that you're doing into, into little pieces and identify your, the weak spots and help you strengthen in those places. That's what a great coach does. They don't just demand results, but they also can develop your skills and see, you know, be a zoomed out figure where they can kind of see from a distance, oh, okay, this is what you could do to, to be better. I, I see a coach doing that. And, and you also talked about collaboration, which is uh, one of the best things a, a great manager in sales will do is foster collaboration on the team by figuring out where, where someone's, who on the team is great at which mm-hmm. skill set. And then yeah. they'll, they'll look to duplicate that across the team. So if they figure out, hey, uh, Susie is amazing at, uh, at this aspect of lead generation. Why don't we enable Susie to be a leader on the team and give a talk to the rest of the team and show them how, how she's doing that, how she's being so successful. And if Joe is a really great closer. Let's have him give a talk or, or share what he's doing to close so well. And I, I think having that community, that collaborative community on a sales team can really be powerful. Yeah, it builds a culture and, and that's, that's the, the basis of a really good team. On the flip side, from your experience, what are some things that sales leaders need to do to stop uh, or they, what do they need to stop doing that, that limit their success? What, what have you seen people doing that they shouldn't do? Well, I think what you one of the things is exactly what you said about the the coaching analogy. Um, you know, there's there's so many leaders out there that um, you know they 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 ask for results without any form of coaching or instruction or, or, or something like that, and that's a key for failure. So if you think about you know a typical sales process, you know you've got lead generation, you've got that client contact, you've got the discovery meeting, you've got the you know whether you do a demonstration proposal, um, and you've got the close. So typically, you know you've got the that whole um, process, and a lot of the times they just you know they just want results at that top line. But within each of those um, steps, there's a whole stack of different activities that are really key performance activities. So what I see is, is a lot of the times they're just, you know, managing by KPIs and not actually um, looking at those activities and helping yeah. tweak, tweak those activities. So I definitely, um, definitely agree with you there. I think another thing that sales managers, you know, have got to stop doing is they've got to stop pretending that they've got all the answers. And so, you know, um, people like us who go out there and whose who's sole purpose is to help amplify the potential of salespeople, you know, we, we get stuck. We get, you know, our chokehold are the sales leaders and they're the ones that need the most help, but they don't want to go up because then that would be a perceived um, failure in their job that they need help. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after all, what are they getting paid for? Yeah. But they also, you know, have this whole thing that they don't want the team to see that there's any shortcomings that they may have as a manager. So I, I can, you know, I see that a lot. And, and you know, the, the people in the sales performance industry see that a ton of times. And it's, it's sad, actually, because, you know, you've got these group of people, you've got salespeople that are just itching to grow themselves personally and professionally. And, um, and, and it's the chokehold is actually the sales manager, is actually the sales manager. And then if we, we kind of take that to the next step down, sales leaders or sales managers are, I call it, you know, the tail wags the dog. They're not holding their team accountable to anything. And it's this whole fear, 
you know, especially if you've got, if you've got sales people that have been promoted to the sales manager and then all of a sudden they can't stop, they can't be one of the boys anymore, you know, so they've got to lead them or manage them. And so holding people accountable is, it just doesn't happen. So they're, they're probably the three things that I see out there that, that are the most sabotaging behaviours. That definitely resonates, resonates with me too. And one of my biggest lessons being a leader in business and, you know, that I, that I guess I've learned probably in the last five or six years running, running this company that I run now it, is that you, you have to not try to be the expert in everything because you're really not the expert in anything. <laughs> so, so no, you know, no, I, I, no. And, and early on in a company's lifestyle, it, it, I guess is especially relevant for people who found a company that, and then grow it early on, you are the expert in everything, you know, you're, or at least most of the company, the, the part that you're running. Uh, but over time, you're bringing in people who are experts in different areas, like, you know, marketing or PR, or even an area that, like, I have relative expert expertise in sales, but a leader on my sales team, well, they have way more expertise in the area that they're dealing with on the sales team, because it's their whole job. And so that's, I think leaders really do have to let go of, of that desire to be, I don't want to say be the best at everything, but they have to let go of that, that illusion that they're supposed to be the expert in everything because, exactly. because they're not, exactly. they can't be, no, no one can be everything to everyone. And if you don't let go of that, you really get in the way of your team. I mean, you introduced me as an, as an expert in this field of B2B selling. You know, I've got, I've got a bookshelf here laden with books on, on psychology, on, on every form of selling, you know, there are so many within the sales field, there are so many components to the sales performance um, industry, for want of a better word. Um, mm -hmm. Prospect, you know, every single part of that. I am not an expert in every single part of that, you know. So my experience mm -hmm. is very much in the psychology behind building the people up to, to go do those things. So you're right, you're spot on. So, I mean, we both ask, we, we both go to people in our networks that have got the strengths in the areas that we don't have strengths in. So, yeah. Uh, I think it was Socrates that said, I know nothing. And the, you know, the, the point being the wiser you are, the more, uh, the more you realize how little, so you how know. much you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, yeah, deeper, the deeper you go, the more you're like, wow, there's a thousand, <laughs> a thousand PhDs in this space who have all yes. got a deep expertise in some element of it. So uh, absolutely. I, I know the cliff notes of, of a 20th of what, each, of what they've done. So yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I've heard your keynote that you do where you talk about how to start with why and the need for amplified intelligence. Yeah. Can you explain to our listeners what this means and how they can start with why and, and how they can have amplified intelligence. So Simon Sinek, we all know has this, you know, this the wonderful keynote, the Ted talk and, and everything on start with why that's key. Like that is, that is really important starting with why. Um, but, you know, one of our friends like Socrates, I don't know, it was Descartes, I think it was, said, um, know thyself. And so I believe that with Simon Sinek's model, he's um, missing a key element. And I've written about this on a number of, you know, different blogs and whatnot. I believe that the missing circle, the inner circle, is actually who. It's actually who we are. 
And so I call that the change maker circle. And so starting, starting with who is, is really all about creating the results that matter the most. So that's where I kind of bring in the science of, you know, of our brain and our, and our body and our behavior, bring all that in together and how that impacts business. And, um, and amplified intelligence is another keynote of mine, and, and that is all about the human approach to AI, to the AI trend, so as in artificial intelligence. And, you know, there are three key principles within, within that keynote, um, and those principles are mental readiness, our intuition, and anti-fragility, which is beyond resilience, um, that actually will help us to adapt to the future of artificial intelligence. So... I guess in answer to your question, um, I mean, salespeople can apply the principles of both by actually looking at their own personal leadership and the impact that that has on how they sell, on their community, their clients, how they're perceived by, you know, by their prospects, how they're perceived by their market um, and how they're even perceived by themselves. But, you know, like anything, it's, it's only for those people that are growth focused. Well, for the next section, I, I have a series of questions that I'll ask in rapid fire succession, and the goal is to answer them in under 60 seconds. So, All right. Okay. Uh, Here goes. So question one, what is one thing that a lot of salespeople don't do enough of or they neglect, but they should focus more on to become successful leaders? I don't think that they question themselves enough. I don't think that they put their hand up enough. I don't think that they um, extend their learning enough. Um, and I think what they do too much is they're too attached to getting a deal. And I think when you can lose the attachment to actually getting the deal, then, and I'm not saying you don't go for it, but you lose that emotional attachment, you are actually, it's freeing. You are actually more present to the conversations. I had some interesting experiences on this when I was in, in sales. I found that if you're too attached to a deal and if like, you know, if, if you feel like you can't lose a deal, then you certainly can't properly negotiate it. Like if a manager puts too much pressure Absolutely. on a rep to, you have to close this deal, you have to close this deal. It's like, well, Absolutely. if I have to close it, then I'm kind of hum, hamstrung on the negotiation because inherently you have to be willing to lose a deal to negotiate it appropriately. And I'd, I'd much rather negotiate according to my plan and, and, and lose a deal, uh, but generally get a higher price for deals than I would do a deal where I lose money on it all said and done, right? And so that was a key lesson for me early on was you can't be too attached. And is that, is that what you mean by when you say attachment? Absolutely. And I'll give you an example. So it was, um, this is going back a number of years when I was at Xerox and I've been working with this um, large account and I used to sell, um, you know, big, big ticket items for Xerox. So, you know, the you know, quarter of a million or whatever it was. And um, it was the end of the financial year. And um, our, my two, two layers of managers above me um, told me, you know, it's about time you've been working on this deal for over a year. Um, you know, we'd tried a couple of proposals throughout that year and go out today, go sign the order. Here's the carrot to dangle in front of them. I didn't feel comfortable about it, but I went out anyway. And I sat down in front of the two decision makers that, you know, now knew me. And, um, and I had the paperwork with me. And I sat back and they were there, end of the financial year. And I had the contracts and I said, look, you guys know why I'm here. And I said, but I'm not going to ask you to sign the order. Now, what salesperson does that, by the way? <laughs> but but that, that was just intuition. And um, 
one of the, the, the senior ones said, we're so glad to hear you say that, Bernadette. He said, because had you have asked us again and dangled yet another carrot, you would not have got any business. I got a half million dollar business a month later. So, you know, I'm not telling um, salespeople out there to, to not ask for the order, by the way. It's not about that. It was, it was about listening to my gut and it was, you know, it was based on, it was based on my knowledge of the account as well. But that was a classic case of, you know, me losing the attachment. I knew in my heart of hearts that I would get the deal and it just didn't seem right. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I suppose, my example um, yeah. of how that played out. And, and that's why we have salespeople is for that, or one, one of many reasons, to, for yeah. that intuition and for that judgment and for that knowledge of the, of the specific customer. If it was as easy as, you know, just plugging and playing, then you wouldn't need them, but it, it never is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So next question, what, what is your tip for outside sales leaders to create a high performance and growth-based sales culture? This is really important to me because... Um, you know, salespeople can come along and they can sell themselves beautifully in an, in an interview and they come on board and they might go through their probation period or what have you, but ultimately the true colors come out. And so for me, if a sales organization is really, really, really um, serious about a high performing sales culture, they need to have a baseline. So they need to have some starting point. And that is understanding the people that they've got in the seats at that point in time from their ability to um, their, their mindset. And when I say mindset, it's, it's real mindset stuff. It's like, you know, do they want the job? Are they committed? Are their motivation levels? Have they got responsibility or are they someone who blames, extra, you know, blames the economy, the pricing, the company or whatever and makes excuses? Um, it's based on um, another bucket, which is basically um, their skill set as far as hunting and qualifying, consulting, all of that. You need to know that. But then there's a whole nother bucket, which is how can you measure your salesperson's beliefs around money, for example? Because what if you have a salesperson who, um, and most salespeople or most of us have come from um, a family environment where perhaps dad worked a couple of jobs and, you know, there may not have been a lot of money. And so with that comes a whole set of beliefs around money. So if you've got a salesperson, for example, that thinks $100 or 1000 bucks is a lot of money, but they're selling something for $100,000, then there's going to be some kind of a mismatch. And I know that for a fact from myself. You know, there's deals that I could have just blitzed in the earlier days, but never pitched that top product because I thought it was too expensive. So how can you, you know, you start to, you know, measure their need for approval. You know what? I, I, I want that buyer to like me. I want that buyer. I don't want them to think I'm a salesperson. So, oh gosh, I'm not going to ask those hard questions. So once again, you've got a pipeline that's bloated. So I'm, you know, I am a big advocate. I'm a, a partner, a global partner of um, the Objective Management Group. And we use this brilliant science-based evidence-backed evaluation. So for me, for a salesperson who is deadly serious about a high performance culture, they need to measure their people. That's my, that's my take. That makes sense. Can you tell me about a mistake you made during your sales career and how did you learn from it? 
Um, I have shared this one before. It's a bit embarrassing, but um, <laughs> I like the embarrassing ones. <laughs> oh, that's kind of, um, so I had this account and I had a, you know, a portfolio of accounts and I had um, this uh, was, it was here in Melbourne and it was, the, the account was called the Williamstown Dockyards and it was on the other side of Melbourne, very industrial, you know, all the container ships came in, the, the, the docks, it was the dockyards. And, um, and I never went and visited because I had this um, picture in my head that there would be some dirty little tin shed and there'd be workmen with their hard hats on and there'd be this filthy printer stuck in the corner. And so it was one day... Um, I decided I'd go for a drive and I thought, look, I'll just go over the bridge and went, ended up going down that way and thought, oh, this place is here somewhere. I, I better, you know, say I've been. <laughs> and, um, and there's this multi-storey building, five storeys. They were a company that actually had just won the tender to build all the frigates for the Australian Navy. And so I ended up um, going through a couple of iterations and ended up getting a deal just shy of a million dollars out of that account. So from a mistake perspective, um, I did it hard to get the deal. And um, my, my learning out of that was um, never make any assumptions <laughs> and visit every single one of your accounts as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a great one. So, um, um, yeah. Well, can you can you name one essential habit or trait that will lead to greater success in sales? I think it comes back to um, you want someone on your team as a leader who has the desire to do the job because that job means something to them. But but outside of that, is you want somebody who is committed, but. You know, I'll ask this question to, uh, you know, salespeople if I'm doing a training or a workshop, I'll say, hands up those of you who are committed. And everyone puts their hand up. You know, everyone's committed to success and everyone will put their hand up. Of course, everyone's committed to success. But my next question is, how many of you are committed to success in selling? Because there are so many things in the sales, you know, role that salespeople will shy away from. So they lack that commitment. So I think, you know, if you were to sit down and analyse those two words, desire and commitment, I think that you would find that they're probably, you know, two key habits or traits that they need. Definitely commitment. And could you give an example of some things that you you don't feel like salespeople... uh... Yeah, absolutely. So I'll ask any sales, you know, your listeners there who are sales leaders how many of their people will um, keep the CRM updated? How many of their people will hand their reports in on time? How many of their salespeople will pick up the phone and have a consistent prospecting, you know, pick up the phone or go on LinkedIn or whatever the, you know, the process is in that company that have a consistent processing rhythm? So given your expertise in sales leadership, what's the, best advice that you could give our listeners who want to become successful sales leaders? Behave, dress, talk, and think like the successful person you want to become. And as a final takeaway, what's the first step that they could do to accomplish that? 
I think, you know, the word leadership, it's just such a broad term. And when we think of leader, we tend to think of somebody who's a boss or somebody who's a manager or somebody who's higher up that hierarchy. But when we consider the fact that it's not about being the leader, it's actually about being a leader. And so every single one of us, you know, has the potential to be a leader. And I think when you start to shift your thinking, you start to act, you start to, um, you know, dress, you start to behave um, like that, you know, it, it, it's almost like you are perceiving yourself to be that leader. Excellent advice. I like to try to do a one minute summary of everything that we've talked about just because uh, a lot of people are driving and on the road in field sales. And so they're listening to this on the road and they can't take notes. When you, you hear something twice, it sticks. So I'll try to summarize everything we've talked about here uh, in a minute or so. So first, the focus of sales conversations has changed a lot in the last years and we need to be more consultative and understand the art of context. Find out what's important to the buyer and what will make their business grow in your conversations. Before going into a meeting, you need to get into the right mindset. It's important to discipline your emotions so you can take the conversation to a higher level, a contextual level, and truly identify the buyer's needs. You set up the meeting, so make sure that you're leading it and that make sure that you're in charge of the conversation. Bernadette mentioned three areas that sales managers should focus on to become successful leaders. One, develop a great ability to coach, meaning not leading by the numbers or by the spreadsheet, but helping your team members trust themselves and pushing their boundaries to help them grow. Second, foster collaboration within your sales team and build a great culture. And third, communication is crucial and it should be more follow-up based than checkup based. As a manager, it's important to look at and analyze the individual activities that lead to reaching certain goals and not just look at the end results and KPIs. Sales leaders need to get comfortable with not always being the expert. It's okay to not know everything and you should always keep learning and growing. Instead of just looking at the why, we should also consider the who. Look at your own personal leadership style and what impact you make for the people around you. How are you perceived by your buyers? How are you perceived by the market? And how do you see yourself as a seller and as a leader? We need to move away from being too attached to the deal in order to have better conversations and provide more value to buyers. To succeed in sales, you need to be fully committed and have the desire to do the job and give it your all. This involves being consistent in your performance and also doing tasks that are not the most pleasant all the time. Bernadette's last advice is to behave, dress, talk, and think like the successful person that you want to become. Shift your thinking to perceiving yourself as a leader because we all truly have that ability in ourselves. Well, Bernadette, this has been a fantastic, uh, a fantastic episode, and I, I really appreciate you coming on board um, and, and chatting with us today. Where can our listeners read more about your work, and where can they reach out to you? Um, LinkedIn. So, um, I, you know, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so please connect with me there, um, Bernadette McClelland. Um, through Red Folders is my company 
um, my company page and uh, my company um, website through redfolders.com and bernadettemcclellan.com is my speaker web page. Um, outside of that, I'm also um, on Twitter and the handle is B underscore McClellan. So reach out, connect with me and I look forward to, um, to connecting with, with those of you who do. Fantastic, Bernadette. Well, I hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of Outside Sales Talk. If anyone has any feedback or suggestions, always feel free to reach out to me at feedback at outside sales talk. Feedback. I can never say this. Feedback at outside sales talk.com. <laughs> if you like the podcast, please subscribe to it and leave us a review. It really helps us spread the word and get out, get the word out to more outside salespeople like you to find out about us. Thanks again, Bernadette, for joining Thank and you. Awesome. talk to you soon. Bye.